This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Alera Health Products. Every time I turn on the news, there is something about COVID. There is something about the flu. There is something about viruses. Medical experts are understaffed. There's so much going on. The best way to avoid doctors is to improve your immune health. There's a product that I just learned about called Immune Extra. And it's the only product available that can increase immune health up to ninefold in as little as nine days. It does so by increasing the amount of messenger cells that alert the immune system of any invaders. It's only one per day for maintenance. Think of it as a multivitamin for the immune system. Dosages can be increased to up to 15 per day with no side effects ever reported after millions of doses. It's been around for over 30 years. It's just new to sports with friends. It's not new to the world. It's now available in a triple strength formula originally sold only by doctors. And if you have tested positive for COVID or any respiratory illness, it's a true medicine cabinet product. Immediately when someone close to me tested positive, I wanted to know exactly what I should do. I contacted doctors. While we are not giving medical advice, this is something you want in your possession. It should be taken upon the onset of symptoms. Go to their website, www.immuneextra.com. And when you're checking out, get 15% off just for finding this from Sports with Friends. The keyword that you have to type when you're at checkout is FRIENDS15. You know, friends. Friends15 at ImmuneExtra.com. And go to their website and check it out. Because if you don't want to just take my word for it, listen, my word's not gospel. Neither is anyone else's that you might hear from today. But go to the website. Check it out. Read about it. And you know what else I did? I Googled it. Click on news. There's nothing about any harm. There have been no side effects. There's nothing about this that would be alarming. Give your immune system a fighting chance against everything that's out there in the world, including COVID. Go to ImmuneExtra.com, use the keyword FRIENDS15, and they'll know you found this from Sports with Friends. Welcome to Sports with Friends. Yet another episode. This is 336. This is a great episode. I am so excited to talk to this gentleman. Don LaGreca is a radio host for ESPN New York 98.7. He is one of the co-hosts of the Michael K. Show, a top-rated afternoon drive show that is simulcasted across the country, especially in New York, on the Yes Network. He is also the pre- and post-game and fill-in play-by-play announcer for the New York Rangers. He's worked extensively with the New York Jets for over a decade. We were co-workers in uh, 2009, 2010, a little bit of 2011, uh, when I worked over there at ESPN uh, with Don. Uh, I met Don LaGreca in 2003 at the Stanley Cup Finals at the Meadowlands Arena. When the New Jersey Devils were playing the uh, mighty Ducks of Anaheim at the time, they're now the Anaheim Ducks, and uh, we forged a friendship then, and it's uh, lasted throughout, and I'm thrilled to have Don on the show. It's also a massive week in the National Football League, championship week, uh, the two conference championship games 
uh, take place this coming Sunday. If you're listening to this the week that it is released, we will give you the latest odds and all the previews and all the latest information on not just those games, but uh, also the future of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers uh, with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, give us a preview. Seth, my heart rate hasn't dropped since the divisional round, but we're still going to look ahead to the conference championship games. Fantastic stuff. We will talk to you then. So at long last, I get to have Don LaGreca on Sports with Friends. How do I have a podcast called Sports with Friends, and how is he not one of the first? Donnie, how are you? Welcome to this podcast. I mean, I was thinking the same thing all those times I was retweeting all the different people you had on your podcast. And I thought the exact same thing. You know what I did? I still retweeted it and just waited <laughs> patiently. And now the day has come. The day has come. Yes. <laughs> we've had some, some, well, we've had a lot of mutual friends. That's the funny thing about this business is Jewish geography is not a joke. Like to have 300 episodes, like there's still dozens of friends that I have not had on. And that doesn't mean I'm popular. It just means I know a lot of people. Did I beat out Ken Griffey Jr.? Has he been no. on? Ken Griffey All Jr. Right. has been on twice. Oh, okay. Eli Manning's been on five times. All right. So that's that's all. That's uh, that's not bad. I can live with that. <laughs> um, how many years has this been now that you're on ESPN Radio's New York affiliate? Uh, used to be 1050. When I worked there, it was 1050. Now it's FM, uh, which is wonderful. You're also on television. You're a big fancy star now. And how long have you been on the Michael K show? Well, how's right, Michael, so by the way, Michael's fantastic. And he's very excited about the new venture with a rod. That's going to be coming up uh, on ESPN two this baseball season. If there is indeed a baseball season, we'll see, um, which, which might, <laughs> by the because... way, people listening to this in the future, after it's been resolved, they're like, ah, oh, these two dopes didn't know. <laughs> well, I, I know you don't want to, you, you want to keep these things evergreen. Unfortunately, when we're talking about uh, yeah. lockouts and uh, labor disputes, yep. they, yeah. <laughs> they tend to stay evergreen. Well, uh, we do but, know, I can say, a, send a special shout out though, because one person I know listens to the podcast, uh, Rob Manfred. So we appreciate go. his subscription. Um, but uh, to answer your questions, the, the three tier question, um, this September 3rd will be my 21st year. Holy at God. ESPN New York. Yeah, we started uh, September 3rd, 2001. I was the first voice of the station, did the first update at midnight. Yeah, we mentioned that in the in the introduction. Yeah, it was you were pretty, listening. pretty awesome. And then um, <laughs> Michael K. show, we were put together for a 10 to 1 show, which launched on July 15th, 02. Okay. And then in March of 05 is when we moved to the afternoon drive. So the Michael K show this July will be 20 years and this September, 21 years with the radio station. And we've been on yes since uh, 2014. Wow. That's it, it's an incredible run and it's a testament <clears throat> to you uh, and your, 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 well, you look, you're great on the air. I don't have to kiss your ass. You're already here. <laughs> um, the, Two questions I have is the television element. How, how did the television part of this change your life? Well, I, I think Joe Torrey can sympathize that you got to make sure you don't get a road finger around your face every once in a while. Right. You know, you don't want to get caught. Uh, it's, you know what it is. You go to restaurants now and you get recognized, whereas you didn't when you started the show. <laughs> yes, there's, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, there was a certain level of celebrity with radio. 
but you know, you think growing up, you picture somebody's voice. You don't necessarily know what they look like. But once I started, uh, yes, I mean, you know, listen, yes, is a par- popular regional network. They, ca- they carry the Yankees. And with Michael K being on the show. Yeah. So I, uh, there would always be a, a, a sense of recognition at ballparks, at arenas where you're around sports people. But that's when I started to notice when I go to the local deli where I live right, and right. you get recognized, you realize just the power of television. So from that standpoint, that's how it's you know really changed. And as far as like doing the show, no, you just, you're conscious of the camera and all that, but it's really added a kind of a celebrity element where you do get recognized and it's fun and I appreciate it. It's never going to get old for me because uh, it, it's, it's so cool to know what you're doing is working. No, it, 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 it really is. Um, what, when did they add uh, the young guy, uh, Peter uh, Rosenberg, right? That I, I'm, I, you know, I know you and Michael for a long time. I don't know Peter at all. Uh, when and why did they insert him in? And I, I feared, and I didn't reach out to you then. And I, maybe I, I'd have been a better friend if I had. I thought they were phasing you out, and I didn't understand what the point was to adding another guy. It's not like you're hard of opinions. <laughs> you have an opinion on literally everything. What did they need him for? No, well, and again, a, I don't want to precursor that by saying I don't think it's a bad thing. He's he's good on the air. I just why? Well, it, 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 I asked the same question. I mean, he was brought in um, on a test, a, a trial basis um, in spring of 2015. I was actually in Tampa doing a Ranger Conference final game when he did like his audition on the air. They were always looking for a third wheel set. They're always looking for a third person. We tried Bonnie Bernstein. We Bonnie tried Bernstein Ryan was there Uko. when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've always wanted the element of a third person, preferably a female. We had Michelle Beadle. But uh-huh. the problem is, is that nothing seemed to work with Michelle. She just became a star and radio was just not, you know, suited for her because she had bigger fish to fry. Um, so we're trying different people. And the idea for the third person was, hey, let's lighten it up a little bit. You got two sports guys two guys similar age we want to try to bring in a younger audience we want to try to not be so x's and o's not be so sportsy so the idea came that let's bring in a guy from the hip-hop world uh familiar with pop culture and a little younger a little younger i mean he's he's 42 years old so it's not like he's 15 i mean i'm 53 so you've got you know the age ranges are still within 20 years of each other but the idea was to just bring in a different audience. And I think it's worked. Okay. I was not on board with it. I remember my boss, Tim McCarthy, asked me what I thought great about it. I said, Tim McCarthy, a great guy. You, I don't always agree with what he says, but great guy. <laughs> well, listen, I, I agree. and um, But we did not agree on this particular thing. And neither did Michael. He's like, we don't need a third person. We don't like it. And Tim said, well, if you don't like it, there's the door. I'm like, well, I appreciate you asking me, but apparently you didn't have to ask me. You could have just told me. So Michael and I weren't sure, but it's clearly worked, Seth. I mean, I, sports radio to me has changed and evolved over the last 10 years from a, a medium in which you informed people to now your job is to entertain people. Our audience knows as much as we do because they've got access to the information that we of course. have. Um, so 
listen, is there different things that Michael may know because he's inside with the Yankees or I might have inside with the Rangers? Sure. But for the most part, it's I want to listen to Don, Michael and Peter because I want to know what they think about something. Not I don't want them to tell me that it's going on. And and, and, and going off the beaten path and talking about pop culture and music and TV, that's become part of it, too. And, and, and I think that's really helped the show. So we were resistant to it, but uh, being resistant to change is not the way to stay alive and evolve in this business. So it ended up being one of the best things that's ever happened to the show. Okay, this is more a generic state of the business question, though. Um, back on episode 178, just in case you're keeping score, because mm-hmm. listeners love that I know the numbers of these episodes. Uh, we had the great Jody McDonald on, mutual friend of ours. Sure. And Jody is a self-named fossil. He will tell you that I want to talk to seven callers and he just wants to see callers on and he wants to just hit the phones. That, you know, that, that, that's, that's Jody McDonald, but he's a different generation. You are the hybrid of that because you're also doing a TV show. You're also now doing it with two other people. And my question to you is, is that does Peter represent the alternative to callers? Because it seems like callers are being phased out across the country, maybe not in New York as much, but the sports talk show caller has less of a presence than, for example, social media does. And so does Peter represent like he can come to you guys out of a break and then say, well, wait a second. You know, why do the Knicks do this or why do the Nets do that? Can he be that guy? So you don't have to go to Joe in the Bronx. Right. Yeah. As a listener of podcasts, I listen to podcasts and I listen to podcasts that sports radio stations create. So I listen to sports radio. But what I never hear is Tony and the Tony and Queens. Like I never hear that. Well, I think what we've seen since and you talk about what's changed with television because we're the yes network. There's a lot of Yankee fans that call of a certain age. We, we, we joke about when, when when it's baseball season, it seems like every caller disclaimers his conversation with I've been a Yankee fan since 1950. Oh, we actually, oh we actually God, strung them that. together from that. like 1936 through like 2000. Every year has been represented by somebody saying I've been a Yankee fan since whatever. And sometimes I think, and it, it, it can, the callers, because they only represent a very finite amount of your audience, tend to be older, tend to kind of have the same opinion. We do get a younger audience that calls in, but to your point, I think Peter can be that voice of maybe the people that don't call, that don't sit on hold for 30 minutes to make their point. Um, so I think that every kind of angle is represented. Because sometimes your demographic that calls is going to kind of be the demographic of Michael and myself, you know, older white guys that have a certain opinion does is every demographic represented in your calls. And the answer is no. And Peter certainly can add an element of of an area that that, you know, two two older white guys may not have that same thought. And it, 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 it really makes the show come at a bunch of different angles because I still am a fan of callers, but to feel like it represents your audience, I think is misled because and misguided because I don't think it does necessarily. There's a lot of people that listen that would never think to call that are screaming at their radio or their device going, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I think on a better occasion than when Michael and I speak, Peter might represent that voice. 
More with Don LaGreca of ESPN New York, 98.7 FM and the Rangers Radio Network. How great is it to reunite with an old friend and have a fun conversation? More of that in a minute, but it is championship week in the National Football League. We have two big games to preview and give you the latest odds on with the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. But Patrick, we have some things to discuss at first. There are two quarterbacks that were eliminated last weekend, much to my total chagrin. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. What are the odds on where they wind up? Yeah, so all we have right now, Seth, is uh, whether he will be with the Packers uh, next year at Bavada. Just a simple yes, no, um, and uh, the no is favored, um, it, which is no surprise by uh, his comments so far. Uh, but also, he is currently uh, minus 200 at Bavada to leave the Packers, play with a different team uh, next year. And, and there's a few things at play there. I, I, I think for whatever Aaron Rodgers was as an off-field distraction, the dude performs, and I think uh, you know, his performance uh, in the last decade in Green Bay has really helped paper over a front office that has been otherwise pretty average. Now, you're right. They absolutely put together one of the best teams around him this year, something that he's never had. Uh, this Packers team is also in salary cap hell going into the 2022-2023 season. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to have to change, and Rodgers himself noted that in his press conference. It just it makes a lot of sense at his age. Go somewhere warm, go somewhere where you can compete, go somewhere perhaps quieter. I, I just, I don't know that Green Bay is the place that he's ever really been totally in love with, aside from, you know, some nice comments to, uh, you know, in the right press scrum. I think he wants to be elsewhere. I think he's, you know, if, if, if they weren't even a one seed, if they didn't have such a good run this year, I think he'd be even higher to leave. So, I, you know, who knows? Maybe the Packers figure it out. Uh, maybe that front office figures out how to sort out their salary cap situation and really entice him. But uh, it's it's not looking good for Packers fans. I, I think you're you're looking at a pretty pretty tough uh, NFC North next year. Could be anybody's uh, division to win. And then there's Tom Brady. Now Brady's a very different situation. Um, he's hinting about retirement. What are the odds on that? Yeah, so we are uh, we we don't have him as a favorite to be retired right now. We have it uh, about minus one fifty at Bavada that uh, Tom Brady returns next year with any team, and we do have him a pick him right now to return to the Bucks just to kind of cover ourselves off a little bit because if he does come back next year, it's probably to the Bucks. But who knows? Perhaps a different situation. Uh, would be agreeable to him or Giselle. He did note in his social media post that uh, it is up to the family, uh, you know, the wife and kids as much as anything else. He noted that they don't like uh, seeing uh, Papa Brady get hit as much as he is. So, um, you know, it, it, it is something that there, there was, there was, but this wasn't uh, a storyline until just recently, whereas the Rogers stuff had been a storyline all along. So, you know, uh, the trading team, the props team at Bavada will be laser-like focus on uh you know the comments the whispers and everything else in the bets coming through we are fortunate that all the speculation and stuff is happening in the lead up to super bowl seth because we've already just got a massive amount of resources staring at football and nothing but football right now all right let's turn to the game this sunday the start in the afc kansas city chiefs are home against the cincinnati Bengals. uh joe burrow showed uh do not bet against him however i think a lot of people are going to bet against him what's the line what's the latest and what do you take 
Seth, uh, this one is up to Kansas City minus seven at Bavada right now. And, uh, you know, we, we, we just saw the Bills and Chiefs play an absolute banger of a game. And the Chiefs and Bengals played a really, really good regular season game uh, just like five, six weeks ago. Bengals won that one 34-31, a back and forth, you know, really looked a lot like the Bills game. Well, nothing could have been as good as that Bills-Chiefs game. But, you know, Burrow has shown he could pass uh, against this Chiefs team. He threw for four touchdowns, 446 yards. Uh, I, I do think you have to be a little bit concerned. Uh, you know, Tyron Matthew came off the field for the Chiefs in that game against the Bills, and that secondary looked atrocious. They looked really, really bad. Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Kelsey were able to bail them out in this game. I think they're probably going to need to do something similar in this one, Seth. And as I look at the over-under, uh, it's no surprise that it is as high as 54 and a half, and about 90% of all money is on the over in this one at Bavada as well. Uh, we did note that in the Bengals uh, chief, or sorry, the Bills Chiefs game last week, the over/under was the highest bet number on all on everything divisional weekend. It was high, higher bet than any point spread, any money line, anything else, and it was looking like it was going to go under until they scored something like uh, 24 points in a minute and 50 seconds. It was uh, pretty wild there. So yeah, so uh, the the betters in this one certainly backing points. Uh, otherwise, when it comes to money line spread, pretty split in this one. They're 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 dipping their toes in, but on both sides. So it's mostly just points looking at Bengals Chiefs so far. And then the Los Angeles Rams, ironically, have a home game, and they could have another home game if they make the Super Bowl because they could win. And it's it's wild to think that that's going to be the first one. <laughs> They've had this neutral site game for fifty plus years. And this is going to be the game that gets the home team to get into their home stadium. Very funny. The L.A. Rams hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, who, again, we every week we have said, well, maybe this is the time they're not there. And they, this, you know, they they have defied the odds twice. First of all, that 49ers comeback against the Packers did not see it coming. That offense looked dead on arrival in Lambeau. Uh, Jimmy G looked, uh, you know, he was really struggling out there. Uh, you know, there was a lot of passes that could have been picked off. Packers should and could have put that away uh, very early in that one. But hey, listen, the 49ers are still here. Uh, the strength of Debo Samuel, who's he's he, he's he's a running back. He's a wide receiver. He's returning punts. Uh, he is dynamic in a way that we haven't seen a receiver play all those positions before. Certainly uh, not in recent memory. Just incredible out there. And, you know, uh, this was an incredible Week 18 game. This was the game that the 49ers needed to win just to get in the playoffs, and they needed a bunch of help. And here they are now in the conference championship game. Uh, what is interesting about this game, uh, it, it's, it's a Rams home game, but the 49ers are just down the road. They're not far away. And the Rams, you know, don't do a good job of protecting home field advantages. They have one of the worst home field advantages by our ratings in Bavada. We're expecting, I don't know if it's going to be a 50-50 split, but the 49ers fans are going to be there. They're going to be loud. They're going to be interrupting. It almost feels like a, a college football bowl semifinal, like a pure neutral site game for this 49ers and Rams uh, game. Should be really, really good 49ers. First team to defeat Sean McVay when he had a lead at halftime. Bucks almost became the second team last week. That was very scary for us, like I noted. Looking at the odds for this one, though, Seth, Rams are currently three and a half point home favorites at Bavada. 
Uh, the payout price is even money on that. We did open it at the standard minus 110, minus 110, but there's been a little bit more money on the 49ers so far. Uh, the over-under is, uh, is set sorry, at 46 right now and a little bit more money trickling in on the under. Uh, you know, 49ers look so good. They're health healthy, mostly healthy. They're executing really well. I think they've got the better in-game coach. McVay is an incredible prep coach. But if this game's close in the fourth quarter, I got to give a bit of a nod to the 49ers who just continue to do so many things well, continue to do things so smart, so optimally. But uh, really, just like last weekend, I'm just looking forward to the games. These are going to be good, and 49ers-Rams should be an absolute banger. Two banger references in one report. That is Patrick Morrow at his best, the head odds maker at Bovada. Back to our conversation with ESPN's own Don LaGreca. My next question, because this is um, a podcast that's that I own, I can then say something to you. How have you been able to work for the Rangers for so long and do it so well, but you're a Devils fan? You never I, talk about that on the radio. And I've, I've listened to hours of you. You never talk about that. It, and I feel like it's my secret that I am revealing to the world. You love the New Jersey Devils. Uh, it, it, listen, there's, a, there, there's people that have been following my entire career that know that. I mean, I <laughs> wore my heart in my sleeve. If you listen to the Don LaGreca show, whatever I was doing it on Iyata, yeah. uh, on the fan in the middle of the night, early Iyata. in the infancy of Look ESPN. Look at that reference. Sure. You knew that I was Michelle a, Kelly. That's right. I was a was giant. A producer. She booked me on your show. I wonder how she's doing, by the way. I haven't spoken to her in years. Um, Philly Again, we're listening to this in the future. She might have been. We, uh, we, she'll call us back. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you knew that I'm a giant, uh-huh. a devil, and a Met fan. Now, you knew that. But you make decisions, Seth, in your career. And, and the biggest fan I am of anything is me. I want to do well. Mm-hmm. And it really started with doing the Jets. I mean, I'm a Giant fan. I did the Jets for 16 years, the pre and post. But I could still maintain my Giant fandom because the Jets and Giants aren't real rivals. They don't play each other every year. Pre and post is a kind of a different animal. But when you start doing play-by-play, it's the closest to actually being on a team. You travel with the team. You're around the team. We live in a world where it's all pre and post. It's all previewing and recapping, previewing and recapping. When you do play-by-play, you're actually talking about the game as it's going on. So it's really the closest thing to being a player without being a player. And so now you feel like you're a part of the team. And when that and, – and the turning point for me came in 2012, Devils-Rangers conference final. Oh, that's right. Game six, I'm Can at the Rock. Game. Yep. Kenny and Dave have the call upstairs. I'm stationed to – the left to, to Henrik Lundqvist's right for the first overtime. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go upstairs to do the intermission before overtime. So I just get in the yellow. I just get down as Henrik scores. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head as a devil fan, this is amazing. They finally slay the dragon, right? They beat the Rangers in a big spot. They're going to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2003 when Seth and I were sitting up in the halo at the Meadowlands right. against the Ducks. We were. And then I said to myself, that's cool. But 
my job is over. Right. The devils aren't going to pay me. The devils aren't going to have me do the pre and post, you know, but the Rangers, I did, I, I called, um, what was it? Game three of that series. I filled in for Kenny. I called game three Rangers devils. Like that's over now. Right. And on the Michael K show, you know, we're not going to talk as much hockey because the Rangers have just been eliminated. Um, Bill Beck, uh, Bruce Beck isn't going to call me to come on NBC and, and talk right. about the, Ra- the the Rangers because they're gone. They're eliminated. Not going to mm-hmm. have me talk about the Devils. I don't work for the Devils. I'm like, you know, is this really a good thing, you know, um, that they're gone? And the answer was, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Forget about the financial aspect of it. But, you know, that, that's a part of it, too. And that's when you kind of make the decision. What am I? Am I a fan or am I a professional? And I realized that, hey, I'm a professional. And, you know, two years later, I'm calling game one of the Stanley Cup final between the Kings and the Rangers. Yep. You know, so I, I still love the Devils, but I love the Rangers and the Islanders. I want all the teams to do well. I love hockey. I want to I want I want to talk hockey on the Michael K show. So I kind of divorced myself from my fandom because it was better for my career. It's more fun to be somebody that works in it as opposed to being on the outside of it. And people might think this is, there's a level of conceit or maybe I'm exaggerating, but the best comparison is what if you're a diehard fan of a team and you become a ball player and you get drafted by the opposition? I mean, are you going to quit? No, well, <laughs> you're going to follow. Let me, let me interject there because I take <clears throat> a different stance. I take a very different. I admire the fact that you still have your loyalties. I am not a fan of, I mean, I'm a devil's fan because I don't work there. I don't, you know, I don't work in hockey. I worked for the avalanche for a little bit. I, you know, mm-hmm. I freelance for the devils for a little bit. I did a podcast for them, but not, nothing real. Nothing, that, that wasn't my job. But when I covered the Denver Broncos or the Seattle Seahawks or the jets and giants, I do a charity event with Eli Manning for 15 years. You want them to have success. And so what I would say is I support organizations that I had, uh, good relationships with that I never had ugly divorces with. So yeah, I hate the Mets with a fiery passion, but, <laughs> right. but I love the Phillies. I love the, the Rockies. I love the Mariners. You know, there, there are organizations that I love and it's based on personal experiences. You mentioned Ken Griffey jr. Like that's why I'm a Mariners guy. I'm not a Mariners guy because of Mark Langston. I didn't right. grow up like that. You know, you've been in this business long enough. You could divorce that childhood stuff because if you wanted to, you have enough experience that it, you can just root for, like you said, New York, well, you, you do a show in New York. You want New York teams to win. Hey, listen, here's the, here's the essence of it, right? I mean, fans have their passions. And if you're a devil fan, you hate the Rangers. You hate Mark Messier. You hate Mike Richter. You hate Adam Graves. You hate Stefan Mateau. Yep. Oh, yeah. Guess what? You work for the Rangers. You get to know those people. And you know what, Seth? They're good people. They're nice people. They treat you well. <laughs> so how do you sit there and like, uh, how do I, as the, the, the devil fan of me looking like Mark Messi and go, oh, I hate Mark Messier, get the guarantee or step on Mateau with the goal in game seven or, you know, uh, uh, Adam Graves with the goal in 97. And meanwhile, Adam Graves is asking how my kids are and remembering my wife's name and, and, and putting his arm around me and giving me a hug when he sees me. Like, again, I, it, you, you get to know these people and you realize, listen, being a fan is important, but fans don't have access. Michael Kay talks about it, how the sausage is made, both good and bad. 
you just see the team and you root for the team. But then you get to know these people and some people are really good. And then hockey, 99.9% of them are they're great. Awesome. People. Yeah. Hockey players, you know, hockey players, coaches, executives, they're all great people. And then sometimes without mentioning any names, you meet people that you were your heroes and then you find out that they aren't really good people, you know, and, and it changes your perception of, of how you felt about them when you were younger. So I just, I, I'm not judging anybody. Everybody does things the way. And I, and I would judge myself if, if, if I were looking at myself 20 years ago, I'd say, how did, how did Don become that? <laughs> but then you become that and you realize that uh, it's a different world and, and this is the world we've chosen. And so you have to, as I said before, kind of divorce, you know, your past, appreciate it. I still have, I mean, I'm in my man cave right now. I still have my autographed Ken Danico jersey up there and I consider Kenny a friend. You know, and I still remember fondly those memories of those games. Um, but, you know, it's a different perspective now. Ken Danico, um, yes, one of the nicest yeah. human beings. One of the nicest human beings in the world. I just remember, and I'll just bring back another episode number. Uh, episode 144, we had Cal Clutterbuck of the Islanders on. And I remember tweeting that out and getting called. And people would, weren't calling me names or anything like that. It was just like what you had who on it's your podcast why did you do that i just remember like the devils are the only professional franchise that i'll openly support you know what i mean like yeah i, I don't i don't go out i don't have a rooting interest in in the nfl I, I try to keep it close to the vest because you know but but i like that new jersey has its own professional team and it's the only one you know and, and then that, that's kind of kind of the thing the natural transition though is there hasn't been a championship i mean i know the soccer team the major league soccer team won but there hasn't been a major championship in new york in nearly two decades um no it's not no, two decades. One decade decade one decade yeah. sorry feels like two hold on hold on <laughs> in nearly a decade um it's wild to see um how much that has been you and I, when we first got to know each other, I remember one of the things that we talked about was it's always good for the teams to be in it, but not really win it because the, the, the drama of that is what fuels sports radio. And there's no secret to that. However, enough is enough. It's getting to be a bit much where New York has not had a championship. There is dysfunction all over between the Knicks, the jets, the, the 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 baseball teams there's been so much dysfunction and it fascinates me um what new york has become and in this streaming age and not to get off on a massive tangent but if you are a kid and you're a Giannis fan um you don't have to root for the home team anymore like no it, 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 you can get access to all the Milwaukee Buck games for a nominal fee. Like there's so much access to so many things. My question to you, and it's really more just a statement is, is the New York sports fan also aging because the younger sports fan is just a sports fan, not necessarily oh. a New York fan. Oh, there's no question. And if you think about when we were growing up, Seth, we're around the same age. What was the one sport where you saw fans outside of New York? Not baseball, not hockey, not basketball. It's football. football. Why? 
because of Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football. Um, you had two teams in the market. So that meant that you might see um, the AFC if you were uh, an NFC fan and vice versa. So you had Dolphin fans and Cowboy fans and Steeler fans and Viking fans and Raider fans because the Jets and Giants sucked when we were younger. Mm -hmm. People couldn't take it the 70s because the 70s were awful for the Jets and the Giants. So they became fans of other teams. You couldn't do that in the other sports. All right, yeah, you had the game of the week on Saturday. That was it. But the hockey and, and basketball, you didn't get to see any other teams. So you kind of were stuck rooting for the team that in the area. But now you have access to to when, when my kids get older and, and if they become a fan of whatever, the Minnesota Timberwolves say, all right, I'll buy the NBA package. They watch every Minnesota Timberwolves game. They'll read every article on the internet. I remember my dad, when the Dodgers left, told me he subscribed to the LA Times to kind of keep keep up. And it would come three days after the game was played. You couldn't follow. <laughs> now, other than going to the ballpark, you can follow a team in Guam as easily as you can follow them, you know, across the street from your house. So why my should I tell alerts me when Arsenal's playing? Like, I, I know what, right. you know. It's constant. You, the, right. the world has become so small. Right. And you saw the money that NBC paid for the Premier League. Like yeah, and, and, and you see that. dude. How are you going to get soccer otherwise instead of maybe when we were you know, 20 years ago, go to some place that had a closed circuit or whatever. Now it's right in your house. I learned about it in college. It's called a global village. And that's what the world's become. It's become a global village. That What, what was a million miles away is now right at your fingertips. So... Why do I have to sit and watch the Mets stink forever, or the Knicks stink forever, um, when I can go and root for somebody else? I'm seeing it with kids. I you walk around like the Willowbrook Mall, and and count the number of Golden State Warrior jerseys that you see, right? Um, or the number of Buccaneer jerseys, or Patriot jerseys, or um, whatever you know, because I, I don't I don't have to sit there and why? And I think the Yankees benefit this from this, Seth, more than anybody. Because the same cachet of the, the Jordan Bulls and the Gretzky Oilers and the Magic Lakers and the Cowboys is that they won all the time and I can root for them. And there are people that root for the Yankees. They'll be rooting for the Yankees if they played in Seattle, but they don't they get masked because they they happen to play here in New York. So the Yankees don't lose any fans because they're never out of it. It's been 30 years since the team has been irrelevant, you know, so. I don't have to tolerate that garbage anymore if it's not for me and go root for somebody else. That's why you got to be careful because if they don't start turning around soon, the whole idea of the generational fans of these franchises might, might actually get eroded away. I want to bring up uh, baseball, but I want to do it differently because on this podcast, we did some research and we found that uh, baseball episodes are the lowest listened to. <laughs> and um, it's amazing considering, you know, I owe so much of my career to, to baseball. Um, the game has changed, but I've often learned that fans are fans of a team first and a sport second. Uh, I remember being on Capitol Hill at the congressional hearings for the steroid cases um, when Rafael Palmero wagged his finger and I remember walking to a media bus and some guy came up to me and said, Hey, what are the Mets going to do this year? And people care about their teams first. New York is a very centric baseball town, but you're not naive and you watch these games and you see the change 
in a the way it's played and b the way it's perceived and i guess my question to you is is that how is it to deal in the day in day out of baseball teams when the bigger picture is still prevalent it's like a it's like a cloud hanging over this sport and this is not about a labor problem this is about a too many goddamn strikeouts it's just it, that's, that's all it is it's, it's too many strikeouts and the the these bullpens are such that the best parts of baseball games are not the end and if i told you you could only have a half hour to watch sports a night but you get to pick the half hour you'd pick the fourth quarter or the third period of a sport not the ninth inning of a game when you're probably whoever's winning is going to win yeah. what is that like covering the day in the 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 second base battle in for whatever it happens to be, because I don't, I don't know how to have that conversation anymore. I mean, we're lucky because locally you can get away with just talking about the Yankees, but Seth, the NBA finals, no matter who's in it, we're talking about Super Bowl, you know, playoff NFL playoffs, Jets and Giants are in. We're talking about it. Baseball is over. As soon as the Yankees and Mets are done, it's over. And, and the idea that, like, we have conversations with diehard Yankee fans who watch every game don't know any of the players outside of the teams that the Yankees play. Like, they don't care about the sport other than their passion for their team. So they don't care necessarily about too many strikeouts because they're just, they're, they're just obsessed with their favorite team winning. But do they think it's just the Yankees that strike out a lot? Oh, yeah. Because they, it's everybody. Oh, my. How many times have I said, are, are you watching other games? Right. I mean, you think the Yankees are the only team that's batting their, 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 uh, like they'll bat, like you get the call, the phone call all the time. Why is Aaron Judge batting second? He should be, bat, he should be batting cleanup. Well, that's the way you grew up. But now in the analytic world, but they don't know outside the Yankees. They think the Yankees are the only ones doing this because they don't pay attention to anybody else. They, oh, the Yankees strike out too much. Everybody strikes out. The Yankees don't have a pitcher that can pitch a complete game. Nobody pitches complete games anymore. But they don't know that because they're only focused on their team. And it's like, and it's it's unlike any other sport that way, where they don't even know they still are living in 1983 as far as the way the game is played, and they don't realize that what the Yankees are doing, everybody's doing at some level or another, and that's so frustrating, and that's. And Seth, as a, as a diehard baseball fan, it's killing me because you're seeing it dying because of the way that it's played. It's 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 boring. It it, it and 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 I don't and I'm just afraid that there's just going to be a generation of fans that are not going to look at baseball the way that we did. And I don't know. And I'm hoping if they're you know that they can change that soon because it is a beautiful sport, but it's not being appreciated by people, and it's their fault. You know, we joke around because you and I are, are devil's people. So like we pay more attention to that team than 90% of the people who download this podcast. Um, but uh, the Nets left New Jersey and they're in Brooklyn. And now they have superstars and they have a big controversy with this Kyrie Irving. I don't want to get into that just because this podcast will be dated because who knows, they'll change the rules and then Kyrie right. Irving will play every game. Who, who knows what's going on? And I will have my standard line. If you're listening to this in the future, do me a favor. Let us know how the flying car is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basketball, you know, how big are the Brooklyn Nets? You know, I, I feel no connection to them. I don't get them. I get, I get nostalgic when they wear the old uniforms. Um, right. That's kind of cool. And you kind of serve two masters because your radio is the flagship of the Knicks with former Sports with Friends guest Ed Cohen. 
Uh, and but you're also on the Yes Network, which is the Nets ch- station. Right. So like, how big a deal in your life is NBA basketball? Well, on the show, it's a big deal, but it's still driven by the Knicks. Um, really? The Nets. The Nets remind me a lot about the de- a lot like the Devils when they're on their run, where it's the Rangers were still a bigger story, not making the playoffs than the Devils were competing for a Stanley Cup. The only difference is I don't think that's the perception nationally, because right. the Nets are a super team, and then outside of New York, they're a big deal. They're treated like the Lakers. They're treated like the 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 other teams in the league that with a chance to win a championship. So they get talked about because the NBA is driven by its stars more than it's driven by their teams. But in New York, we start opening up the phones. It's all Knicks, people complaining about the Knicks or praising the Knicks. And we don't get a lot of like people like specific to the Nets. Now Kyrie with the vaccination or the super team being put together, that was like a general NBA conversation, but I don't get the feeling that there is as many, net fans as there should be for a team competing for a championship. And I've always been of the belief that I don't think the move to Brooklyn has necessarily worked. You know, obviously this year aside because of the fact they're competing for a championship, but you didn't see a ratings bump. You didn't see an attendance bump. At least, you know, there's an identity because it's around Brooklyn, but most of the people in Brooklyn are already Nick fans. So I, I just don't get the Somebody sense that there is big It's hard to get there. It's a pain in the neck to get there. Got to take three trains. That's oh, it's COVID. It's it's it's. I think they would have been better off staying in Newark, but yeah. maybe that's different. I don't know. Maybe would would Harden, Kyrie, and and um, KD had happened if it was Newark. I think so because Kyrie apparently was a huge net fan when they were in New Jersey. Right. So, again, no offense. The building's great. I do enjoy the building. It was it was awful for hockey, but it's good for basketball. But it's so strange, Seth, that you've got a team with so many storylines and so many great players, but fans are fans of their teams, and there's just way more Nick fans. There was this whole controversy, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on a specific owner. Uh, well, I kind of, I kind of am. There was I go massive, ahead. I'm afraid. No, no, no. I understand. <laughs> but there's there was this massive controversy when the Harvey Weinstein uh, stuff happened. Uh, James Dolan, who's a, an old friend of Harvey Weinstein's, wrote that song. And Maggie Gray, who's now on CBS, uh, called him out, called him a fraud and, and, and whatnot. And then WFAN got their credentials banned from covering Nick games. Does a, does a fan care about that at all? In the media, I cared about it. As a friend of Maggie's, I cared about it. I'm not a Nick fan. I, I'm not, I'm barely an NBA person. You know, people ask me who what my favorite basketball team is. I say the Seattle Supersonics, the, what does it, does a, does an owner, does a fan care about who the owner is? Only if they win or lose. Now, Jim Dolan's obviously very polarizing because the Knicks have struggled really since he's taken, taken sole ownership. Ranger Is fans don't similarly complain. to the Wilpons. Yes. And then did you hear a peep about the Wilpons when the Mets are going to the World Series in 2015? Right. Have you heard any Ranger fans complain about Jim Dolan? Same owner. Right. Uh, the Rangers have had success. The Knicks haven't. So they complain about him in basketball, not about hockey. Um, 
no giant fan had any complaints about the Maras until all of a sudden the last decade, the bottom dropped out to the fans. Owners are just a necessary evil that become Woody evil when the team's not winning. Yeah. Woody Johnson's the same, same thing. The, but, but I guess, I guess my question is when you say the Knicks, like they resonate, like I give you guys credit for having to come up with Knicks topics. I, I, what basketball team? I, I've never had a basketball team that has captivated my attention that much. And well, considering what the NBA is, and the NBA is more compelling in the summertime anyway, with the free agency and all that, I can't imagine you doing four hours of radio and the number one story in town is, you know, the, 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 the getting outscored by 15 in the third quarter against the Denver Nuggets. Like that would drive me crazy. Well, the thing that was so unique about the Knicks is they just have a, a massive fan base that, believe it or not, Seth, despite the struggles literally for 20 years, they seem to still be optimistic. Like last year, whether you're a big fan of the NBA or not, you had to appreciate they won a playoff game. And they literally took to the streets after the game, like in celebration of winning a playoff game in a series, that, which the only game they won. So I, you, you don't see that it, the fandom doesn't go away. And that's what I kind of feed off of and appreciate to where am I the biggest NBA fan or, or the biggest Nick fan? No, but I appreciate their passion and it kind of drives the topics. And they were an interesting team last year, made the playoffs for the first time since 2013. Um, and now this year they've been a disappointment. You know, you know how negative sells a lot of times. So mm-hmm. there's been a lot for fans to complain about, but it is just interesting where they never die on the vine. They never do. Like when the Mets are awful, people will stop talking about them. You know, even the Jets and Giants this year, you were able to kind of get away from the conversation, but the Nets are always relevant. That's that's why the Nets can't gain any traction because there's always a Nick story. There's oh. always something that drives the fans crazy. We did we did an hour last month on Spike Lee taking pictures after the Golden State Warriors won and Curry broke the three record and he was taking pictures and like fans being apoplectic that he was treating Curry as a god and he's supposed to be a Nick fan. Like it's it's like no other fan base I've ever seen. So that's what really drives the interest in the conversation more so than how interested I am as a fan or as a talk show host of the subject. Well you know what was weird about that story uh, there were literally people writing articles about how special it was that Curry broke that threes record at Madison Square Garden. I said, why? When did he play an important game there? Like, <laughs> what? what? I, I, the mystique of that building doesn't seem to resonate anymore. And it just seems like the way I, when I think of Madison Square Garden, I think two things. Number one, that's where the Rangers play. And number two, that's where I saw Prince about half a dozen times. So that's what I think about. And it's the greatest acoustics in the, in, for, a, for an indoor arena. It is the single greatest acoustics for any basketball game, for any event, mm-hmm. basketball, hockey, concert, circus, whatever it is, the greatest acoustics are in that arena. But it's interesting that one of the stars of, of the Knicks is the building. Yeah. Because basketball really resonates in the, in, on the island of Manhattan. And it's interesting, the big games, that's where, that's where, you know, uh, Michael Jordan dropped his 55. That's where 
Kobe had his big game. Everybody seems to get pumped up to play at the Garden because it's kind of a, a basketball mecca, but really not for anything the Knicks have done because they haven't won a championship since 73. I mean, Willis Reed coming onto the court, that was 50 years ago. But things have happened at that Garden that make it a special place, and it's kind of become one of the stars of the team. You know, you kind of joke around like, you wonder some of these bad seasons that the Knicks and Rangers had, you wonder if they kind of had a chance to interview the building, whether they would do it, you know, because <laughs> no, it does I, have I a it. pulse. It does kind of resonate and it's, and and you can't deny that people seem to get pumped up to play there. So, um, but I could see somebody who's not a Ranger fan, not a Nick fan saying, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. It's not like a ton of championships have been won there. And it's not like the teams that play field. there have been, right. but there is something special about the building that does seem to resonate, but doesn't necessarily seem to bring the best out of the Knicks. And, and I think it's their own worst enemy. I think one of the reasons they played as well as they did last year, Seth, was because they were playing in an empty building. Right. They, no, they didn't, didn't have a full hit, building until the they got to the playoffs and they lost. Yeah, that's the Kirk Cousins thing. The Kirk Cousins blossomed when you couldn't have fans. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that, that's, that's funny. All right, I want to have some fun uh, in the remaining moments of this sure. podcast because you and I uh, know how to laugh and we know how to make each other smile. Um, my fantasy job would, has always been I want to be the uniform police. So I have two things that I want to throw at you. Uh, you can take either one. You can take both. In the NBA, the home team should always wear white. Mm. I don't care if you have a third jersey. You wear your white jersey at home and your dark jersey on the road. And I think there should be a rule in the NFL saying dark jersey at home, white jersey on the road, especially in the NFL where we live in this, you know, it's such a TV sport. And unless you're in the middle of the field or in the end zones, you don't know what stadium that is. And when I see teams wearing white, I assume they are the road team. Uh, it's just, it's, it's my instinct. This is a personal thing. I want to be the uniform police. I hate the pink hats in baseball, but again, baseball bores me. So I don't want to go there. Hockey. I've adapted to the wearing the dark at home. You know, we're of a different generation. You know, when I think of, of home arenas, I don't think of white, but I'm over it. Uh, what about the basketball one and the football? One? Well, my basketball, people, I like where you're going, but you don't know who's playing because they got so many different uniforms. And so I should be able to turn on a game and know who's playing instantaneously. There was another, there was, there was one night where I think the Hawks were at the garden and, and the Hawks looked like the Knicks and the Knicks looked like the Hawks. It, it took a couple of seconds to figure out who was playing. That's it's not like the way too much. Supposed it, it, to we be. understand marketing. Much. We understand merchandising, but it's too much. It, it, it's way too much. And, and the funny thing is the best selling jerseys are all the traditional jerseys, Yankees, Celtics, Blackhawks, the guys that haven't changed anything in forever Cardinals. So they all try to go to, to get these third jerseys and alternate jerseys and they're all money grabs and you don't even know who's playing, but I, I'm with you. Um, I, the football one is interesting because it's all about the helmet to me. Like there's nothing special about a football uniform. It's a number. You know, they started putting the name of the city and the name of the team, like on the chest. I don't go for that. I don't really like that, but it's really never been about the uniform. It's been about the helmet. And in, as far as hockey, I wish they would go back to the whites at home because you want to see the different colors of the teams coming in. Yeah. So like when you think about it, Seth, from a distance, it could be anybody playing because it's just white. 
Like, I want to see the red of the Blackhawks. I want to see the black of the Boston Bruins. I want to see the blue of the New York Rangers coming into town. Everybody's wearing white. You already know what your team wears because you root for your team, unless you're the Devils and you have, you know, that new black jersey or whatever, or the Christmas tree yeah, the, jersey. The referee, the referee jersey. I would God, go I back miss, to the I miss the Lou. Reverse. That's the one thing you miss about Lou is Lou didn't want to change anything. Yep. Very traditional. Um, I, I keep thinking when you brought this whole conversation up, now they say you root for the laundry, right? That was the yeah, Seinfeld yeah. said. Yep. You don't even root for the laundry anymore because you don't even know what laundry your team's wearing. <laughs> it's like that, uh, was it, Heartbreak Ridge, the uh, Clint Eastwood movie, right. where he, he wanted everybody to come out wearing the same T-shirt as him. And then, like every day you'd have a different T-shirt. Have the wrong, like you don't even know what jersey to wear to the games because you don't know what jersey your team's going to be wearing on that day. Um, but uh, I like where you're going, where it should just be the traditional, where will you wear at home and, you know, stick with the same uniform. But uh, football to me has always been more about the helmet. No, than it's I, been I, about I, the I jersey. get it. In, in, in football, like the Cowboys like to do it the opposite. The Buccaneers like to do it the opposite. The Dolphins like to do it the opposite. And it throws me off. And when I see the Giants wearing blue, I think they're at the Meadowlands. Yeah, like that, that, that's that's the way I live. So the fact that on some of their road games, they don't, or on a random Thursday, they can switch it. I, I don't understand that. The other one is they should go back and this is not two old men sitting on, you know, get off my lawn, but the giants should not have NY on their helmet. Uh, the jets don't. And your whole existence of your franchise is in New Jersey. If you want to call yourself the New York giants, I don't care. That doesn't matter when you had giants on the helmet. You're not you, you you you. It's a slap in the face to eight million people because eight million people live in New Jersey, and I understand what New York is. And I've lived in the shadow of New York my whole life right. when I lived all over the country. That's not a, <laughs> it's not it's not that the Giants put Giants on the helmet. You play in New Jersey. I'm not asking for New Jersey, but don't don't put New York. Yeah, the thing. It's so interesting These because it's, that I did not plan. It, on no, I, I it, but that's what makes this show so much fun is that they made a big deal about going to giants because they were moving. Remember they had that double barred NY when they played in Connecticut and at Shea stadium. And then, you know, and then you come back to Jersey and then remember they had the logo with the metal lands with the state of New Jersey. Like they were really owning it to be New Jersey, but Hey, listen, it's, it's a great NFL network documentary about the Giants move to New Jersey. Yeah. And but yet still you watch a Monday night football game involving the Giants. And what do they show coming out of break? The Empire State Building. You know, they'll show the you know, because, again, it's New York. It's to me, I don't get too caught up in it. My dad it frustrated him because he was a lifelong uh, person from New Jersey. It never bothered me because it's the New York metropolitan area. I, I get that. What I never understood about the NY I understand it's tradition and it takes you back to that 56 championship and Sam Huff and all that Charlie Connerly and all that, but think of the logo. It's a lowercase N Y what, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah. I mean, you got the giants. That's a pretty cool nickname to be. You can come up with all these great logos and they mailed it in with a lowercase N Y. Yeah. And then we only like it because it's a throwback. But now when they go to the Giants on the helmet, that becomes the, the throwback because it had been 20 years since they wore that. Right. Never mind the fact they can't win when they wear those, by the way. But I, I just wish they'd come up. Even the Jets, your, your, your logo. 
Your, your name but is the, the Jets. Jets. Going to the green helmet looks sharp, looks modern. Their facility looks modern. The, yeah. the way they the, the Jet uniform works, it, it just works. And I'm not I'm not biased for the Jets. What the Jets did is they didn't go backwards. They didn't go say, hey, this is what Altoon wore. But what the Jets did was this is a hybrid of all of that. What the Giants are doing is they just I, I don't I don't know what they're trying to be. Well, both in the way they look and the way they play. Yeah, <laughs> There's a lot well, going on there. Both but. of them are awful. Both of them are yeah. awful. The, the best thing about the red zone, I've said this on this podcast before, the best thing about the red zone being available to cord cutters is I've watched so little Jets and Giants this year. It's remarkable. Well, think about it. We grew up with them always playing one and four. And then on the rarest occasions, it would be a, they would play at the same time. Now it's routine because they don't want to put either of those teams in the in the four o'clock window. Yep. So it's 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 crazy what's going on. But uh, yeah, that, that, that the uniform stuff is just fast. You could do whole shows just on uniforms I would love and choices. To be the uniform police. That's my fantasy job. I, I think, but I do think it's so important because it really represents like every, think about the, you know, when, when you're a fan, like what you wear and what you have hanging in your man cave, it's all about the logo. It's all about the uniform and to see it bastardized the way it is now where they change it so often. And, and it, it does, what, 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 what do you represent? Yeah. You, yeah. Your, your buildings change every 20 years. You know, the players change constantly. You're changing the uniforms all the time. Like, what exactly are you rooting for? You know, what exactly represents your fandom anymore? That logo is supposed to be important. And yeah. it doesn't seem to be that in sports anymore. It's all about the almighty dollar. Over the uh, holidays, uh, the Nets promoted on social media a T-shirt that had all eight of their previous logos on one shirt. And I, I am a sucker. $25. I bought it. I, I totally got that. And I, I haven't watched a Nets game since they played at the Prudential Center. They, but, but to see the New Jersey Nets, like the Buck Williams Nets and the Drazen Petrovich Nets and the Jason Kidd's Nets logo brings something to me. You know what I mean? And I'm, and it makes me wonder about the New York Americans and the new, you know, the early incarnations of the New York or the New Jersey Americans, the New York Nets, and then the New Jersey Nets. Like, you know, I'm a history buff that that interests me. And that shirt I would buy in a heartbeat. What no, tell if you put a gun to my head, I probably don't know what James Harden's number is. But you grow up, yeah. It, it it's it's so interesting how, like the logo and the uniform bring bring back a certain era. Like you know, growing up a Devil fan, that oh, that Christmas green. tree jersey makes you think of Don Lever. It makes you think of uh, well, John McClain's goal in Chicago. Right. That, yeah. So it takes you right back to that. And if you want to do that on occasion, you have special nights that you do that. You know, I think it's important, you know, as a Met fan, that uniform to me is just so gorgeous. The, the pinstripes at home. And I hated the whole, all oh, bringing the black jerseys back on. I hated the black jerseys. Black is not in there. That's not, that, that's, that's not, not their, their color. Yeah, that's not I, their I color. hated those 2000 Mets in the World Series with, you know, black, black jerseys and black hats. That just, oh, it just seems so, such a money grab to me. Such a great jersey. The New York on the road, Mets at home. 
you know, I could live with because it was a great time in 86 when they came up with the blue and orange stripe down the side. Okay, yeah, yeah. little changes here and there are fine. We have fundamentally changed to where you're adding a color that's not even in your logo. That that orange and blue is supposed to represent the state, the flag of New York, and it's supposed to represent um, the, the blue of the Dodgers and the orange of the Giants and the merging of it together. And then you throw black in there. What does that mean? What, what, what's the story behind that? Just a, okay, one more tangent, because I, I knew this was going to happen. The whole social media conversation that I wanted to have is not going to happen. But the uh, last year, you would have loved the NHL did a reverse retro. I asked yeah. Gary Bettman about this. Uh, reverse retro and two teams decided not only to use old logos, but they used logos of franchises of cities they had abandoned. Mm. The Carolina Hurricanes wore Hartford Whalers jerseys and yeah. the Quebec Nordiques wore uh, the Colorado Avalanche wore Quebec Nordiques jerseys. And what they said when they announced it was this is an homage to our past. And what I thought it was, it's a slap in the face of the fan base that lost them. I don't think there's one person in Quebec that liked to see their logo being used on those traders. And I know <laughs> the way, cause I know whaler fans that hate the idea that the hurricanes, how dare you wear our colors? And I said, boy, that, as I'm listening to the passion that you're having, God, that would have been fun to have you on that week. Yeah, but the, the, the funny thing is, is my passion is, is how much I love to see those Nordique jerseys and those Whaler jerseys because it takes me back to my youth. God, I wish the Quebec Right, but Nordique you don't live in existed. Quebec. What no, I, think I, no, about, I get that. Because I think relocation is the undertold topic in sports. Relocation is the biggest crime and it's the least discussed. You know, you have cities that have abandoned and through throughout history, whether it's the Baltimore Colts or the Minneapolis Lakers or the Cleveland Browns, the original Cleveland Browns. And of course, the one that I'm close to, the Seattle Supersonics and the Quebec Nordiques. And in those situations, those franchises are hurt like those cities are scored now. In the NFL, they've kind of righted the wrongs. You know, Baltimore got the Ravens. Cleveland got another version of the Browns. Not in St. Louis. No, not in St. Louis. And they had to go through it twice. Well, and and I thought it was hysterical when the Rams played the Cardinals in the playoffs. Mike Puma from the New York Post, a great reporter, he tweeted out and said, which, uh, which team does a St. Louis fan root for? Just depends how old you are. Right. It, it, that's exactly the answer. Because our imaging guy at ESPN radio is from St. Louis mm. and his, his parents were big Cardinal fans. Is it still and he grew Mike up a Is it? Yeah. Brad, yeah. Mike Brown, yeah, Mike Browncher. And so he was a Rams fan and his parents were Cardinal fans. So <laughs> they, they both, and of course, awesome. but, but talking to him, apparently the biggest crime was the Rams because they won a Super Bowl in right. St. Louis. I mean, the right. Cardinals were never very good in St. Louis and they, they got them from Chicago. They were the Chicago Cardinals and then moved to St. Louis and they never really did anything. The fans were upset, but it, it wasn't that devastating, but the Rams had really, they built a beautiful stadium for them. They had, they had won a Super Bowl, hall of fame players, Marshall Falk. Think about it. Kurt Warner. I mean, just great. Tory Hall, just so many great players. And that, that one, according to him hurt the most, but, I never thought of it that way, Seth. I mean, that's a good point. Because when I saw those jerseys, I'm like, oh, that's great. 
incorporating the avalanche colors with the old Nordique and with the stick. And, and I selfishly just enjoyed it because it was a throwback to my youth, but you're right in, in Quebec city, in Hartford, it was, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's. And those teams won championships after they left the Nord, the, the, the avalanche won the year after they left Quebec. That's right. You know, Carolina has won a Stanley cup after leaving Hartford. So yeah, I would, I never thought of it, but that is, that is really a kick in the, in the groin to those fans. How did Gary answer? Uh, I think Gary said that uh, it was meant, it, it was intended to be the homage that it was uh, and not the, the slap in the face, you know, that, uh, for the cities and that he's always in contact with, you know, he gave the politician answer about how, um, you know, he's in contact with both cities. Those are not highly populated cities. Those those cities are not getting a team. You know, if you go by relocation rules, the the crime is Seattle, not Quebec or or Hartford. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like Quebec and Hartford are not getting teams. You'd put a second team in Toronto if you were going to expand before you'd put a team in Quebec. Like you just you're, you're not. And the fact that the Thrashers moved to Winnipeg to right the wrong of the Winnipeg Jets like that happens in relocation a lot you know and and it's 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 fascinating to me the the whole thing is is riveting you know if you think about it you know Colorado lost the Rockies and they got the the avalanche you know like most cities get uh, they they correct what was wrong the the mistake is Seattle and hopefully now that there's that arena you know hopefully now that you know Seattle has a chance to get the basketball team. You know, there was a chance yeah. they could get the Sacramento Kings, but they didn't want the the fan base didn't want the Kings. They wanted the the Sonics back. They want their 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 jersey. They want to raise Gary Payton's number and Sean Kemp's number in their arena. They don't want someone else's team. Yeah, I mean it, you're right because like the, the, the Winnipeg was in this as well, but it's it's really it's really worked out going back there. Yep. But Hart Hartford and Quebec City were just the byproduct of coming over from the merger from the WHA. Are those really markets that justify having a professional sports franchise? And not to insult those cities because they're great cities and they're good, they're good sports towns, but you ask yourself, like in a perfect world, if you're starting a new league, are you look, oh, we got to get a team in Quebec City. <laughs> We've got to get a team in Hartford. Hartford smack, smack dab in the middle of the trip between New York and Boston. And I went, I went to the, um, the Hartford Civic Center in the mall, you know, and, and the building would be half filled with, you know, Bruins fans or Ranger fans, or I went there for devil, you know, it just, it, is it a big enough city, but it was a big enough city for the WHA, but is it a big enough city for the NHL? But they do have a brand new arena in Quebec city. They're begging to get a franchise there. The other thing that's interesting about Quebec city and Winnipeg is that, you know, the Canadian dollar. And how feasible is it to be able to, to exist having to pay players in American money and make Canadian money when the Canadian dollar is so devalued over the last few years compared to the American dollar, which is probably the biggest reason why those Canadian teams moved in the first place. Correct. That which and the tax exactly break. Exactly why, which is why the rumor was Tampa Bay might move to Montreal in baseball and that they, if they were going to expand, they would add a second team. This is when they came up with Vegas. You remember the Toronto, because the Canadian dollar was in a different place. Uh, the, again, a relocation that to me, that's a series. Like 
I would do a, a, a relocation series. Every relocation story has so many nooks and crannies to it. There's so much value there. It would fascinate me. And well, whether I, I hosted about, it or just freaking listen to it. What I love about this podcast, this one specifically today. Sports with friends. Is, is that we've had four or five subjects that could be their own show. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And you said to me, and, and I get this a lot from people who come on, they say, how long is this show? And it, th- what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to stop this. Because in podcasting, unlike radio, podcasting, to me, it's at your leisure. You know, yes, would I like you to listen to the end? Every once in a while, I'll tweet something. I, I play a specific song at the end of the show. And I'll say, hey, did anybody know the song that I play at the end of Sports with Friends? I just want to know that somebody heard the end of it. Right. You know, I know what the numbers are for people who listen to it. I know how many listeners we have. But I love to know who listens to the end, you know. Um, the way we usually wrap this show up is I ask people about social media, but in the last year, what has happened rather than just be typical and say, how do people find you online? It's what do you feel about social media? Is it something that is a necessary evil? You know, I remember when I was at ESPN, they encouraged me to get a Facebook page. I remember that. Um, That was in 2009. I remember you mentioned Tim McCarthy earlier. Tim came over to me and said, you should be on Facebook. And if you don't want to do it, we'll do it for you, but we're doing. And I was just like, okay. You know, like I didn't know what it was at the time. Now it's a cesspool, but it's a great promo vehicle for what you're doing. So how do you feel on the ledger of social media? I kind of fall on the necessary evil. I don't think I'd be on it if I wasn't in this business. I think it's a great way to kind of get a feel for what works and what doesn't work, but it's a cesspool. There's more negative than positive. And that's why I think I would bow out. Um, I don't even update my Facebook page. The only reason I keep Facebook is to get the, the pictures that I've collected on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Twitter and I had, I'm in, I'm on Instagram, but never do anything with it. It's basically just Twitter because, Hey, you want to know what's working, what's not working and a way for people to kind of stay in touch with you. Cause as we said before, not everybody picks up the phone and calls the show, but people will, will tweet. But I find it to irritate me more than I get enjoyment out of it. So it's a necessary evil for sure. Well, uh, in that tone, then how can people find you online if they don't already know? Just add Don LaGreca. You know, no underscores, no ESPN, no is at Don LaGreca. The underscore is a necessary evil sometimes. I don't know why people do it. Um, I can never find it right away. I know exactly why. There was this guy who was tweeting uh, stuff that had at Seth Everett, and I needed to come up with a name. And so I did the Seth underscore Everett. I was one of the early adopters of underscore. I like I, I, I just, I hate looking for it. But since I follow you, I find you and it's not a problem. But like just having to find the underscore, I'm just too old of a I man follow to be all able the to figure it out. Even the fake one. <laughs> but but there are times I enjoy and there are times that it's fun. But at Don LaGreca. So tell me how I'd love to you know have discussions. I wish people were just more normal. 
Remember, yeah. the problem is it's not me. It's not the social media is the cesspool. It's the people that make it that way, yeah, no, no which kidding. is scary. That's, that's absolutely right. Well, I will say this, folks, uh, as we wrap this podcast up, uh, if there's anything that you heard during the course of this episode that you have an issue with, uh, do me a favor. Reach out to Don directly and leave me the hell out of it. Yeah, that was all my fault. That's the plan. Seth, Don, this Seth is, did not uh, want to go down any road negative. It was all me. <laughs> that's right. I'm such a such a uh, I'm a pleasant little flower. That's, that's it. Uh, that's uh, I, I tell people that. I was, I was talking to Andrew Gunling today, and that's the first thing. How is that pleasant little flower? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> the great Andrew. Uh, Don, it, it is an absolute pleasure. Uh, you are the kind of person that should have a radio show. So you should have like four hours a day to get your thoughts out. Uh, give my best to Michael. Say hello to Peter. I don't know Peter, but I'd like to. Um, continued success seriously with both the family and the then the professional gig and yes you do a great job on the rangers but i can't listen because it's like fingernail just because of the team that you're that you're doing the no. but but well, other than that, but but you sound amazing and you sound great on the air and i appreciate your time thank you so much right back at you man that's Don LaGreca. Thank you so much for all the folks who listen and all the people who have rated and reviewed this podcast. It comes out every single Wednesday with a new episode. So make sure you hit the subscribe button and it comes right to whatever podcast feed you listen to. We will see you next week. See ya. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to to stay here I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile Come on, please, I'm gone forget reaching me by phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while when you see me again I hope that you have been the kind of person Yeah.